Alright, hey guys. So welcome to Return Victory Podcast. Today is going to be our first live stream. Uh, hope you guys are ready for this because it's going to be awesome. Um, so basically why we're starting to do this is because I've just felt like doing the recording of the podcast like I had been. I've been writing too much. I've been not allowing the spirit to just lead the whole thing wherever he wants it to go. So, let's get this thing started. Today is going to be talking about how we tend to love within limits. We tend to neglect what God says about loving unconditionally while thinking we still love unconditionally. It's this really weird conundrum that we're in, at least in the Western cultures, where we like to love within limits. We'll also be talking about how small we are in the perspective of God and how that leads to being humble, which last night really hit me hard. So let's get this thing on the road. Let's go to the parable of the Good Samaritan. So. In this parable, Jesus is confronted and he's talking to a man who thinks he's doing the law, thinks he's loving people how he should love people, right? And so he, the dude asks Jesus, wanting to justify his actions, hey, who's my neighbor? Like, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan sued his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took them to an inn, where he took care of them. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So the reason I bring this verse up is because the man who had asked Jesus who his neighbor is was trying to love within his, the limits that he wanted to. So he can still say he's following what the Bible says, what the Old Testament says about loving others, but only doing it how he wanted to, not how God wanted him to. And so the reason this verse is so impactful is because it's saying, look, the, Samar- the Samaritan, someone that even the guy who was half dead would have despised still helped him went out of his way to help someone that would consider him his enemy so in this it's that's literally loving unconditionally that's the kind of love that god wants us to have not the westernized love of okay i love this guy i'm going to judge this guy and i'm going to hate this guy while still saying that i love them Like, where's the sense in that of being able to say, look, God, I love people, 
but not as much as I'm supposed to, but I still love them, so that's okay, right? But is it okay? Because in Matthew, Jesus says the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So I take it then if you don't love other people, then you don't love yourself. So, because the first thing we got to do is love ourselves after we love God so that we can love other people. Um, and another really cool thing about this is that the Samaritan didn't just take him to the inn. He didn't just pay for that one night. He said he paid for until he got back. If he needed anything else, he paid for it. Just how, like, Christ paid for us, paid for our sins, paid for the love that he gave to us. So, when we look at it, do we just need to love people like we think we should, like we want to? Or do we love people by truly loving them with the agape kind of love that Christ has? So just something to think about, something to ponder over as we go through this. See, loving within limits is completely unbiblical. It's not something that stands in any truth in the Bible. And when we come to realize that, we come to the point of acknowledgement that the only way we can really love people is with the love Christ has and the way that is is accepting him into our heart and becoming followers of him becoming children of him because as we grow closer to God we can full continue to understand what love is and especially like here in America here in this western culture of I only want to love who I want to love does that even show people who God is does that show people that us Christians actually follow a loving God? Because when I look at it, when I look at it from the outside, from the perspective of an onlooker of Christianity, to me it looks like we don't actually follow a loving God because all we're being is hypocritical because we're preaching love everybody, but at the same time we aren't loving everybody. We're picking and choosing who we want to love. So, I say we need to step out. We need to break the mold of, I only want to love who I want to love, and go out and really love people. The person on the side of the street, the gay person, the uh, robber, anybody. Because, I mean, even on the cross when Jesus was dying, a robber looked over at him and asked him to forgive him. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, no, you're not forgiven. You can never get into heaven. No, he said, your sins are forgiven. Like, if Jesus can be dying and still forgive people, I think here on earth, while our lives are fairly good, we can really love people. We don't just have to say it. We can actually do it through words, through actions, through helping the homeless person on the street, through being friends with the person that we always swore we'd never be friends with by helping those in need, taking in orphans and foster children and 
helping the widows, visiting the people in jail and showing them that God still loves them and there's a way for them to be forgiven. I mean, yeah, there, there are some people who, as a human, I'd say, I don't want to love. Murderers, rapists, all of the stuff that we see as terrible in our eyes. But in God's eyes, all sins are equal. It's not like he picks and chooses who to love. It's not like he says, okay, I, I love the liar, but I hate the murderer. No, he says, I love the liar. I love the murderer. I just dislike the sins that you committed. So we can go and we can love the murderer. We can love the rapist. We can love all these people who are doing these unforgivable sins in our eyes. But we can... We don't have to like what they did. By loving them and not liking what they did, we can lead them to Christ. We can lead them to love itself. Which can then in turn change their whole lives upside down. And they can start loving other people. Because what all of these people have in common is the absence of love. The absence of God's love. And when we can introduce that to them, when we can show them that there's another way that they don't have to live like they've lived, it can change everything for them. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, Jesus went to the people who would have been looked down on for everything, the lowest of the low, and said, repent, and your sins are forgiven. I mean, if Jesus can do that, and we can too. We, I mean, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit and we can go out and do these things and even greater than Jesus did through the Holy Spirit. So, the crazy thing is, what this reminds me of is just how small we are in the perspective of God. How small we have to be because God is so great. He is loving, all-powerful, all-knowing. Like, if he can die on the cross while forgiving somebody, he's got to be great. He's got to be powerful. He's got to be big. Because if he was like we are, he would not have forgiven him. He would not have forgiven the robber while he's dying, taking his last breaths on the cross so it just reminds us of how small we are because in, in turn for Jesus doing this we still go to him and ask him to give us the strength to do this to give us the strength to love people to give us the strength to go through with what he wants us to do to give us the strength to live by faith and even in Job over here in Job in Job 28 throughout this Job has been yelling at God he's been being like God why am I even here like what significance do I have like Job has been going through so much in this time he lost his family, he lost his belongings, he lost everything. 
he got sick, all of this stuff, and he's questioning God. He's like, God, I mean, why is all this stuff happening? I mean, don't we do that today? All our lives seem to just go down the drain. We're like, God, why is this happening? Like, do you, are you even in control of this anymore? But he is. I mean, when you look at it in Job 38, it says, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Well, where were we? We weren't here. God had thought of us then, but we weren't even here. We didn't even exist. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning star to appear and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like the clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. And I can go on and on in this verse. But all of it just proclaims the glory of God, the power of God, how great God is. And how small we are in comparison. And I think we need to come to understand and realize that that we are so small in comparison to God because if we think we're these great beings, pride enters our lives. And I mean, it's happened to me where I've thought I was this great person and pride just starts to enter my life. And when you think of it, no matter how great you are, you're still small. You're, you still sin. You still fall short of the glory of God. And... It's something we need to realize so that we can fully understand that we aren't in control here. We aren't in control in this life. God is. And when we understand that, we can fully have faith in who he is and what he wants us to do. When we can let go and allow God, great things can happen. I mean, and it continues. Have you explored the springs from which the seas came? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. And I mean, even now, we don't fully realize the extent of the earth. Science continues to find more and more new things about the earth that we don't even know of. Yet thousands and thousands of years ago, God stated it to Job, saying, Do you even realize the extent of the earth? Of everything around you, the mountains, the trees, the seas, the creatures that God created. And not just the earth, but the expanding universe all around us. And it continues where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you, can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? Because of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created. 
and you are so very experienced. God's literally calling Job out on this. He's saying, of course you know everything. You created everything, right? I mean, you were born before this all was created. You experienced all of this as I created it. Like, But even now, even with science, can we speculate of what happened? Yes. Can we theorize about what happened? Of course we can. But do we actually know what happened? Do we actually have proof of being there of what happened? Because, I mean, yeah, okay, we can say things happen. We can use science to prove that things happened, but no one was actually there. It still takes faith to believe all this stuff. It takes faith to believe the Bible. It takes faith to believe science. It takes faith of an atheist to believe there is no God. All of this takes the faith. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? All of this God created. All of this shows how powerful God is and how small we are because we can't even comprehend. We weren't there. And it humbles us. It allows us to become humble before God. And how so? Like, just because last night as I was, as I was praying last night, it dawned on me that none of us are great. None of us are good. None of us can even claim that we are good. I see a lot of us going around saying, hey, yeah, I'm a good person. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. But no matter how many things you do, no matter how many things I do, all of the good works we do mean nothing. They mean nothing without love. And they do not, no matter how many times we want to believe it, they do not balance out our sin. Sin is sin. We all sin. No matter how many good works we do, it doesn't matter. Because sin is what brought death. And the, for, uh, as the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And if we think that good works can combat that, we are living in a false reality. Because, as the Bible says, the only way to the Father is through Jesus. It, it doesn't say the only way to God is through works. It doesn't say that at all. It says the only way to the Father is through Jesus, through a relationship with Him, through His love. And it takes me to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And see, with this one, I mean, I've always read this one. I've known it. Tax collector and the sinner. But it never dawned on me, really, until last night, how this shows humbleness. Because it says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had 
great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Okay, doesn't that just sound like a lot of people nowadays, a lot of the Christians who everyone talks about nowadays, whether that's the majority of them or the minority of them, they're at least the people who other people look at. They're the people who the media sees of the Christians who are living so hypocritically, the ones who say they are so righteous, just like the Pharisees did. And they content, they didn't love people and they just scorned everybody. They looked down on everyone. It continues, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Now see, and this tax collectors were looked down on. They were the lowest of the low. They cheated people. They did all these things that was seen as sin. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly, certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Doesn't that just sound like a lot, a lot of Christians nowadays where we pray, thank you God that we're not like everybody else. Thank you God that we don't do these things. Thank you God that I haven't done this. I haven't done that. Thank you God that I fast and I give you, I tithe and I do all these things for you. And I'm not like that other person. That just shows self-righteousness and hatred to other people. That doesn't show any love to anybody. All it does is show the love of self. Selfishness. And it continues, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home, justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Man, doesn't that hit home? Where the sinner, the one who everyone else looked down upon, came before the Lord, beat his chest, and cried out, saying, God, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. Have mercy on me. Not even daring to look up to God. Because he's a sinner. Because he's sinned. Because he knows he's done wrong. And the funny thing is, no matter how many times we think we're righteous, no matter how many times we do all of these things like the things that the man of God the Pharisee did not cheating not sinning not committing adultery even if we think we don't sin there are still areas that we fall short of the glory of God and falling short of the glory of God is sin it's missing the mark so if we come before God saying all these things that we've done good things that we've done. It doesn't do anything. I mean, we still sin. 
don't we? So if we can go to God and we can be like God, no matter how many times I try to be good, no matter how many times I try to glorify you, I still fall short. Please have mercy on me. Forgive me. I don't know what I've done, but show me what I've done, Lord, and show mercy on me. Then we'll be justified, and then God will have mercy on us, and we'll be exalted, and God will love us. And I mean, He still loves us no matter what, but He will exalt us. And that's not saying that we'll get everything we want. That's not saying we will get riches, we will get glory, we will get all this stuff. But we will be able to have a relationship with God, a true relationship with God. And what more could there be than to have a relationship with God? What more is there to life than to have a relationship with them? Because, I mean, yes, we can have all these things. We can have all these belongings. We can live comfortably. But all that does is it allows the chance the devil, for the devil to just creep in and be like, hey, you can live on your own now. You don't need God. You don't need this. You don't need God's forgiveness. You don't need God to lift you up. You don't need God to provide. Yet in my experience... When I get to the end of myself, when I stop living by what I can provide for myself, I've noticed God provides. He's the one that lifts me up so that I can live, and it may not be a comfortable life. It may not be a life that is always enjoyable, but I can always rest assured that God's always there. He is always there for me. He will always provide. So be humbled. Don't go around proclaiming how great you are. Because none of us are great. None of us are good. But go around proclaiming how great God is. Not you. Don't proclaim how great you are. Proclaim how great God is. Humble yourselves and get to the point where you can say, man, I may not be great, but my God is. My God is the provider of all of my belongings, of all of my things, of the, my, the food that I eat, the money that I pay my bills with, everything. Because when we can do this, when we can humble ourselves, when we can realize how small we are in perspective of God. We can truly love others. We can truly love unconditionally. We won't have to put that limited love anymore on our lives, on other people's lives. We can under finally understand God's love for us and the love we should have for ourselves and the love we should have for other people. So, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for who you are, how great you are, how powerful you are, how you always come through and provide. Lord, you are wonderful and amazing. Help us to love unconditionally. Help us to break out of the mold of limited love that we have, of loving one person and judging the next. 
Lord, allow us to love everybody, the sinner, the fellow Christian, the ones that are looked down upon for things they do. Will we always agree with what they do? No. But you never agreed with what the adulteress did, yet you still loved her, you still forgave her. So teach us that kind of forgiveness and teach us that kind of love and mercy on others. Because when we are able to do that, when we can love and have mercy and forgiveness on other people like you have for them, the world can be changed. The world can fully see who you are, Lord. We thank you, and in your name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for listening, for watching. Um, if you want, we've got merch, we've got ways to donate, and we've got a Patreon. So all of those will be in the description. So, good news. I have finally found a van that someone has donated that I'm going to go be going to get soon. So we'll soon be building that out into a camper, which will all be uh, recorded and documented for on YouTube. I can't English right now, I'm terribly sorry. But yeah, so we got a van and it's going to be awesome. We're going to this summer, travel. We're going to go around and spread the love of Christ, evangelize, show people the love of God, help people. It's going to be awesome. Um, so if you guys want to help with that, if you guys want to help support the build out of the, of the van and the money for traveling and food and all that stuff and the money for being able to help other people with clothes and food for them and all of the things that we're going to be doing, donate. It helps a lot. I mean, it helps more than you probably realize because all of it just goes to people. All I mean, there's no point in using any of it for me, for the pod, myself. It's just going to go to the podcast for you guys and to go back into the community so that God is exalted, so that God is glorified in all of this. Because that's why this was created, to glorify God, to show people his love. So, we love you guys. Remember, Jesus loves you. And have a great day.